Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today we're joined by Rich Ivanowski, as always. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, dude. I'm doing good. Just uh, want to apologize up front for the audio quality because I'm recording this on my commute to work in the snow in Texas in March for some reason. Um it's a weird, uh, weird world we're living in, I guess. Yeah, how's uh, how's the Texas life? Oh, it's pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> it is. I, I think Texas is a pretty despicable place. Uh, I'm glad that I I moved out here because for the reasons that I did, and uh, you know, my family's very happy here, being all together and stuff. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a pretty some pretty deplorable things happening in the state of Texas, so it is what it is. Yeah. And the real reason was just to get away from this Sacramento Kings organization, obviously. It's a big part of it. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't really watch many of these games, and yeah, I don't, I'm not too broken up about that. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I, I wanted to talk about the Kings, but I don't want to talk about them as if I'm an expert who's watching every game because I'm just not. Um, I'm able to – the early games, I'm, I'm generally okay with. They actually start around the time I get off uh, most of the time. But, like, if it's a night game in Sacramento, that means it's going close to midnight for me to watch the full thing. And with, like, a kid that wakes me up at 5 a.m., I'm just it's not going to happen, unfortunately. But – yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to I, I wanted to thank you for letting me jump on with you. I know we've talked on the phone a couple times, um, and uh, definitely a lot in text and group chats and stuff. But I just wanted to like come on and and kind of talk a little bit about the things that I I have seen as far as what I would call like an o- overwhelmingly positive response to this bonus. Halliburton trade and just kind of figure out with you if you're okay with it like what was there to be so positive about and and does that still remain and um you know just kind of you know and 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 to anyone listening who hates me because I know a lot of a lot of your listeners formerly our listeners really do not appreciate my negativity and I really do understand that so I just want please don't like rate the podcast low please do not give a one-star rating just See this as the as an act of kindness that it is from Brendan to let me let me vent. I, you were the kind one to join me in the first place. I don't know what all this talking up is, um, and I think that you know people have reasons to. It, it's probably more understandable to immediately be skeptical of a move that is maybe questionable, and you know you you don't know if it's a good or bad move right away and when it comes to the kings i think it's probably safer just going through history to assume that they made a mistake so i don't know that anyone will there's definitely people that are with you that are probably remaining quieter so they don't get attacked (laughs) yeah because it is brutal out there i i've definitely uh lost like just a ton of followers on twitter um, and, uh, I saw like Omer, you know, from the Kings Rail, just yeah. like through some mild speculation about things not going well. 
and was attacked pretty bad. And Tim, of course, is back to his old, his old ways, I think, after kind of uh, taking the trade fairly okay. But, yeah, I mean, like, I just – I listened to all your podcasts since the trade. I may have missed one in there, but for the most part, I think I've, I've gotten – I've hit all of them. And it, can I just ask, is it – I feel – First of all, is it fair for me to say that I think you've focused more on the positive aspects? And secondly, is that kind of just out of um, self-preservation and, and like trying to be more interesting or trying to be listenable when to kind of to kind of uh, focus on the negative would just be no fun? Um, I think that I probably do end up focusing on the positive, like when it comes to the trade. Um, I think I'm kind of like that in general with things and I uh, like I, I think that it's up in the air enough that I choose to kind of like present or I think again just kind of the way that I am like the idea of this is how it could work because I, I totally see how it could and, and until like kind of waiting for this offseason to see if they can put the right pieces around the right complementary guys around this like new duo um until i really feel strongly about it like I, I think that um it probably is an aspect of like the team got unwatchable right before the deadline yeah. and they definitely like give you something to tune in for now and and play decent basketball for you know 30 of the 48 minutes or whatever um so i i think there's totally an aspect of that of like being so deep in it that it's just like oh thank god it's something new now but i think that i, I probably could present the negatives a little bit more and it's funny because since you've kind of like pointed it out to me i find myself presenting it a little bit more on other platforms when people are presenting the positives to me but i think also an aspect of like doing solo a little bit more i just kind of like start ranting and i'm typically a little bit more of like a look at the bright side person um so i think it's a combination of things but yeah i mean i think that everyone knows that you know this this could go either direction and the whole, obviously, the whole Tyrese Sabonis swap is what we're talking about. Yeah. And see, that's interesting because, um, you know, you say everyone kind of agrees it could go either way. I definitely don't agree. Like, I think that this is genuinely a disaster that will only end badly. And I simply cannot see how that is not the case. Um, I, I, and I mean, it's going to sound like I'm just a miserable uh, miserable person to say this but like i don't get it i i don't understand it at all i think that the real okay so i want to start by saying that like i i think part of what hurt me or let me down or made me feel particularly upset is how well the kings were set up to do a rebuild and uh, the type of a rebuild that's been proven to work by countless teams um you know obviously like philly is the example of like a massive rebuild and that's probably a little too extreme to think the kings would ever do something like that um nobody even like you know, memphis cleveland 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, if you look at just the top five picks in the past four years, half of them are either already all-stars or very close to, to being there. Um, you take Luca and Trey from that from four years ago. Then you take Zion and Ja and Garland, who are all – all five of them are already all-stars, have been all-stars. Um, then Lamelo's an all-star and Edwards didn't make it, but like was probably the next guy up like for an injury replacement and almost certainly will get there next year, I think. Um, and then this past year, I think Cade and Mobley are definitely on their way and probably Scotty Barnes as well. So like tanking just does work and it only works about half of the time as far as each individual pick. You know, half the time you get an all-star, half the time you don't. But it is so proven that that's the case. Um, I think the Kings were just right there, and they had so many pieces that could have been traded for future assets. Harrison Barnes, in particular, is just, I think, an amazing uh, rebuild piece. Like, there's just a bunch of teams out there that could have used him. I think they would have given up a first-round pick. And I don't believe anyone that disagrees with that. Um, And even Buddy Heald, I... I think part of this trade as well, like everyone's like, well, hey, we dumped Buddy. That's a win on its own. I don't agree with that either. Like there was a trade offer out there. You know, the Kuzma deal almost went through for him. There was speculation that it could have been Kuzma and a protected pick far out. Of course, they did choose to go the Westbrook route, the the pitiful Lakers. But um, I think that you absolutely at some point in the in the past year or so or potentially in this upcoming offseason when his contract's even less and it's declining, you absolutely could have gotten value for him. Um, and then guys like Rashawn Holmes, who are now languishing on the bench, like all of yeah. these guys could have been churned into future assets. And so to not do any of that is, is concerning to me. And I'll stop there for right now and see if you agree with any of that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we definitely talked about this on the phone a little bit. I'm with you. I think that, like, the smart route would be to fully reset and you have this cornerstone of of Halliburton. I think that Fox can still fit in a timeline where you're um, prioritizing, you know, adding talent through the top of the draft and, and even middle of the lottery say that, yeah, like you said, you move Barnes for something like, you know, the rumored deal, even last deadline, was, what was it, one of Langford, Neesmith, and Pritchard, and a first-round pick into Boston's TPE. Like, and that pick ended up being, I want to say it was 16 or 17, but it was Alper and Shingun. Um So, yeah, no, I, I totally get you. I think that um, I also, and, and probably should have been more clear of this throughout the process, like have been just operating under the impression that like they McNair like isn't allowed to tank you know like I obviously I haven't been told that directly or anything but like you know reading between the lines with everything we've seen with the organization and everything like and so maybe that's unfair to kind of like work that into my judgment and assessment but because yeah I mean like last year was the year 
to do that for me. And I, I think that when it felt so obvious to do that last season, like they lose one more game, and I, I want to say it was one or two more losses that Toronto had. They jump up to four in the lottery and end up taking Scotty Barnes. Like, or even one pick above you is Franz Wagner, who's like the perfect guy for this team. So I am with you where I think that like that is probably the most ideal and smart team building route. Um, I think that I've just come to accept like in my own mind, even if maybe I don't know for certain that it just wasn't an option to fully tank and reset and send all these guys out. Yeah. I mean, you were probably right about that. And you, you did convince me like you're when we talked about when I gave the team or gave mine McNair rather an F for the trade deadline. I, you brought that up to me and I said, you're, you're actually right. Like he actually deserves an A within, if we're going to put it in the context of what, the Kings wanted what the ownership wanted him to do, what the what the Kings would allow him to do. Um, Cause that's probably correct. Like he, he, I would even bet a lot of money that he agreed to this in his interview for the job. Right. right. Where that it was just from the jump. Look, you need to take us to the playoffs as quickly as possible. And that's the end of the story. Um, and if you're not on board for that, then you're, this isn't your, the job for you. So I think some of my criticism towards Monty McNair is actually super unfair. It's really, it's meant to be criticism to the team in general. Um, and it, 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 we can put it all on Vivek or whatever, but I don't know what, I don't really know who's in charge of the team and um, the, the big picture direction. And it is a little bit scary that, I don't know. There's always some random speculation that this person has a say and that person has a say. And Vivek doesn't own um, nearly a majority of the team, not even close to a majority of the team. So, yeah, I don't really know what, who in, in particular to blame it on. So Monty gets a little bit more of it. But, yeah, I – So that, that's the part of the whole side. issue here, like you were it saying. Is. It's, it's, it's scary. And I, I think you hear that echoed from the people that are most connected to the team is that, I mean, it, it – it keeps popping up in AMIC articles, you know, just some reference to it, right? So right. the white side signing or the yeah. whole Luke staying around through into this season. And like, there's just, yeah, so many things where it's like, was this really Monty's decision? Yeah. So, I mean, I will just dismiss that. It, that's my major problem with it. And I think that's the downside that everyone who has pointed it out. That's what they point out is that you should have tanked and tanking works and you were in a fantastic position to tank. Um, you could have had a top four pick and additional picks and Halliburton and Mitchell and maybe Shingoon or, you know, what have you. You were right there. It was all right there for you. Um, but then, so if we want to dismiss that whole thing, then we got to go to can they win now? And I think, of course they can't. Of course they can't. I mean, this is what's even more upsetting to me is that even me, the biggest hater of this trade in the universe, in the known universe, I even said this team is better than it was before the trade deadline on paper. And I think they've been worse. 
Like I, that, that's that's probably too general a statement, but I think their record has been worse. Like their yeah, four and eight win percentage. Sabonis has played. Is it four and nine now? I, well, because Sabonis he missed that game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe four. Uh, and it might be four and nine. I think four and eight. Oh, you're right. And so it's they've won a third of the games, and I think it was you know so three thirty three, and I think it was like three sixty four or something like that beforehand. Um, now. You can kind of scratch off that one. Like, that was not a bad loss um, against Denver without Sabonis. Um, yeah, but but 30 to New Orleans. Um, you know, the, the game against Chicago where they score 85 points and nobody can shoot a three to save their life. They blow a 19-point or a 20-point lead against Dallas. They almost blow a 19-point lead against the Spurs. Um so I, I definitely get what you're saying. They they haven't been better right now. I, I think the aspect of it that's interesting to me and why I'm like kind of so focused on the off season is that you know they're they're not gonna. I mean I'd be surprised. I guess it would be very fitting for the Kings to win more games than than we probably want through the end of this season, which is kind of typically what they do, right? Um, but you know, they have five games in a row here against teams that are thinking they're fighting for a championship. Um, and then maybe it it does get a little kind towards the maybe final 10 or so after that, but you're still in a spot where, you know, more likely than not what they're going to be at like the sixth, seventh odds. Um, and it's like you still can end up with a really you could do this swap i think is the idea and still end up with a really valuable draft asset you could um and i would agree that if we're kind of building in uh the opportunity cost of picking higher this year it's not substantial it's two spots at most right um and that with the flattened odds is i don't know Maybe I think I looked at it, it was like twelve percent difference of jumping into the top four or it's not that substantial. Yeah, but, six, sixth pick it, or sixth best odds is thirty seven percent. Um and if that's where they're at now, if they were to jump to like eight, they would be at twenty six. So yeah, like eleven percent. But I mean, we all agree that the point of this trade and the point of this direction is to substantially worsen the pick next year in other words win more games next year like so part i mean right. and people hate including like oh De'Aaron fox was part of the cousins trade right because they ended up picking him because they ended up picking higher mm. after losing more games after trading cousins and it is not true De'Aaron fox is not included in that trade but you absolutely should include whatever the difference is between the eighth pick and the fifth pick or what whatever that margin is included in that decision um it was part of the decision and so you know you can put that little 11 percent in you know this year's you know factor that into the equation but if this goes how the kings want it to go this could be the difference between the third fourth pick next year and the 12th right or the 10th like and that is substantial Right. And, you know, no shade to Davion Mitchell. Like, it's a fine pick for where they were, even if it's the guy I wouldn't have taken. But it's the difference between Davion Mitchell and Franz Wagner, Davion Mitchell and Scotty Barnes. Like, 
two guys that would fit this team phenomenally compared to Davion, where it's like, I'm sure he gets picked and Fox and Ty are looking around the room like, what the hell is going on right now? Right. And Buddy, too, like, you had four guards at that point, and now you traded the two best shooters, by the way. Right. And so... On a team that was already really bad at shooting. Like, that is the clear issue right now. Yeah. Is the, and, and, you, and you're... Your duo is admittedly, like, I don't know. I I struggle with this. Like, is that a tough duo to build around when what you need is, like, you just have to have shooters? Like, there's a whole lot of shooters in the league, right? Like, if you're saying you need a not-negative defender that can also shoot, like... How rare is that 3 and D mold at this point? I, I don't really – I struggle with that one a little bit. That's a great question, and I actually brought that up, I think, in the Slack at one point because I think it is horrifically uh, difficult to find, three like, actual 3 and D players. Like, not like a Dante DiVincenzo who's, like, an in-theory 3 and D player, but, um, like, a start, let's say a starting level. First of all, because it's not just 3, right? You need the D. Like, we just talked about, okay, they have this huge issue with that duo of Fox and Sabonis, which is shooting. But it, it's probably just as much of an issue defensively. Like, there's enough holes in that where you have to find uh, a four or a five, however you call it, um, you know, another big man around Sabonis to who's actually going to cover up some of his, I wouldn't say lapses, but he's just not a plus defender. And you probably need a plus defender in the four or five spot to be a good team. Um, so you, you know, there's there's issues there. And Fox, I don't know. Maybe it's just the usage, but you know, because he he had had some defensive highs early in his career, but yeah. much like he, a lot of those and he's guys, gave a shit again face. recently. And like when he, yeah, it's like you get like five possessions a game where he gives a shit, and you're like, wow, yeah. that's a good defender. But you probably need a guy that's going to be, like, on on right. defense all the time. So I actually think it's really hard to find those guys. So it's easy to call prospects 3-and-D prospects because there's a ton of them in the, in the lottery or a ton of them even later than that, you know. And, and, but none of, it's rare that they turn out to actually develop into a starting caliber 3-and-D guy. And I'll tell you, like, it's, it's easy to find those guys when you're a championship caliber team. It's easy to find those guys when um, when those guys are choosing you. When you're the Kings, it, I think it'll be tremendously difficult. Like, I don't know how many really high-level 3 and D guys there are on bad teams because they typically are in enough demand around the league that they, they get sort of sucked into a top four, top five in their conference situation, whether it's – you know, even older guys, like they're buyout type of guys, like those guys don't end up on the Kings. Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely see what you're saying. I'm going to look into those rosters a little bit probably later today, but I, I totally see that. Yeah. Um, I think that the idea of this duo is that like, to me, I, I think that Fox and Sabonis are – it's not like you have that duo and you're just like guaranteed to be a shitty defense. Like I, I think they're 
Fox needs to be more consistent. I've been, like, pleasantly surprised with Sabonis on defense, but just in the way that, like, he's not a negative. He's just kind of a neutral out there, um, which is fine for what he's giving you on offense, right? And I, I think that, like, the theory of this team is that you are a really damn good offensive team that's willing to kind of, like, sacrifice what you are defensively for that purpose. But it's, of course, like, how bad are you defensively and yeah i mean i think that fox and sabonis can be a part of a you you have to get to like 20th sort of ranked defense at very least right um at worst and i think the fox sabonis can totally be part of that and and you have like decent perimeter defenders i think that are okay like i don't know that i'm stuck on like the four has to be a rim protector and a shooter like, I think that he could be a, a solid perimeter defender and a shooter and not a great rim protector. And maybe your idea is that you're just trying to limit how often teams actually do get to the paint. Um, like, I, I think that the idea of this duo has to be that you are offensive-focused and willing to sacrifice some on defense for that reason. Um, but, you know, that's obviously banking on you being a damn good offensive team like i think of like the blazers in in recent years or um you know I, the pelicans kind of have fallen into that um I, I think that when washington did decent last year with westbrook too they were kind of in that same mold which you know is not exactly the best teams to look up to but I, I think that that's got to be the idea of this duo is that you could be competent defensively, but you have to be pretty damn good on offense is the idea. Yeah. Um, and to be really good on offense, you need those shooters and you need them to not be a disaster on defense. And yeah, I'm just, yeah, I think that's hard. I think that's harder for the Kings. Like if you, I don't know if this duo were in Miami or LA or New York and there was, I mean, New York's probably a bad example right now, but I don't know. Like, if there was enough of a desire to just, hey, look, at least I get to live in this part of the the world, and there's, you know, I don't know, the tax rates are good, or the the life outside of basketball is great here, or the fame of wearing these colors is a big deal. It'll probably be a little easier, but um, yeah, you know, I, I in your last pod, um, you know, I I think you're you kind of you talked about how Fox and Sabonis have been playing really good um and I think that's definitely true to to the extent of you know as good as you can be without winning basketball games but um you know and you brought up DiVincenzo kind of chucking it and uh Justin Holiday being real streaky as a shooter and um maybe Barnes not being too you know assertive enough things like that it's uh, – I don't think you're going to do much better. Like, I don't think that there is a supporting cast that you're going to get that's going to meaningfully transform this team. Um, we kind of had a little back and forth about uh, – I just I just threw out there about Fox's 44, 46-point game. Um, you know, look, got to win the game, though. Like, you, you just – I don't care how many points you score. It's more important to the Kings that they win a game. Um, and I think you brought up like the John Morant 
free Grizzlies, the, the jawless Grizzlies that were 12 and two on the year and the other guys matter and sure they matter, but I still think jaw matters more. And I still think Fox and Sabonis matter more. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like this, this, that whole narrative just bothered me with people. I see people saying, you know, Luke is my MVP because jaws team was 12 and two without him. So obviously he can't be that important. Like, that really bugs me. Um, I think we know that great players are what builds the NBA. The NBA, you know, look at the last 10 championships, right? They were all won by MVP-level players. So you cannot win a championship without an MVP-level player. You right. simply can't do it. Um, it cannot be done. Uh, seven of those 10 championships were built around, you know, number one or number two overall picks. Like that's, and, and, you know, that's just that I'm just saying is kind of proof of concept, right? Because I'm not saying the Kings should be, you know, championship or bust, but it's proof of concept that good, great players are what matter. Um, So in my opinion, you could put whatever, take your pick of Jalen Brunson's and Dorian Finney-Smith's and I don't know, Whoever you PJ want Washington. from the, yeah, yeah, and it's just I don't think that they turn the Kings from a thirty-five win team to a forty-five win team, and so I, I mean, I think, and do you agree? Like they need a very good, another very good to great player to to be a playoff team. I think that yeah, it's either a like a number. Three, you know, like I, I think that, or I mean, ideally, yes, yes. To answer your question bluntly, yes. Ideally, you'd get another guy that is really not too far from Fox Sabonis caliber, and you need like a three headed snake type thing because the outliers to the whole, you know, winning a championship or conference finals without an MVP caliber is that you have like a three-headed system where it's like kind of all these guys are really good or or great but none of them are that caliber um like yeah i mean you think of you know it's not quite the same but of course i'm gonna talk about the celtics i guess but like pierce allen garnett like none of those guys are mvp caliber at that time they're all kind of the same around the same level um and that's that's a tough ask, you know, like John Collins is the one that maybe stands out. And honestly, I don't love John Collins. Um, there is. But the other aspect to me is that, like, say that you sit at six in in the draft or seven and you do well with your pick, say, A.J. Griffin or Keegan Murray. I, I think are two guys that, yeah, I don't know. I still got to dive into it, but say that one of those guys pans out well, where they're like low av- average starter in the league. And then you trade a Rashawn Holmes for PJ Washington. And now like having five guys that are actually starter caliber with two of them, I, I think fringe all-stars and, and, and a, Again, I'm working with a lot of ifs here, which I understand. And you get a coach that is really just not a bottom five coach. Like the wording that I've stolen is that, you know, there's five or 10, there's five coaches in the league that win you games. 
There's five coaches in the league that lose teams games, and then there's just the rest in the middle. And the Kings have consistently had coaches that are probably contributing, causing you to lose games. And I think if you could just get an upgrade to even being in the middle, that that's a big deal. Like, I I think that I look at a lot of areas where I'm like, this is just you're starting at such a low point, it doesn't feel like it would take that much to upgrade. And maybe that's where I'm finding too much optimism. But like, like I said, yeah, looking at Gentry, like, it shouldn't be all that difficult to upgrade. But you know, we said the same thing about uh, Jaeger or Jaeger situation was weird. But like, you know, optimism for Walton, and that didn't turn out great. And but then I look at guys like, you know, you're starting Trey Lyles and Justin Holiday and I'm like, you're gonna tell me in this offseason that you can't get not not you specifically, but like this offseason you can't go get two guys that are substantially better than those two to fill those roles and everybody just bumps down one spot and then maybe the depth looks okay. Like I know I'm working with a lot of ifs, but I feel like there's a couple spots where you have crappy starting points and you have opportunities where I, I would expect a coaching change. And you have a decent asset with this draft pick and Rashawn Holmes. If you want to include Harrison Barnes in a deal, that there's ways to improve the areas where I think there's like clear flaws and low starting points. That that's kind of where I see the notable improvement. Yeah, I mean it's probably unfair for me to say it's not possible, but I think like the Bulls are the the reference the blueprint that people kind of reference as you know here's how it could work if it works right um like the Vucevic and Sabonis comparison isn't unwarranted um you know and then they added uh Lonzo and DeMar DeRozan but like I think that's kind of what you need if we're talking about being better than a a play-in team um you need to end up with a, a guy that just happens to become an MVP candidate. Like, I think that's like, a, you need to fall into the next DeMar DeRozan to be that good. Because I think based on what you're describing, the Kings need around Fox and Sabonis, like Barnes is actually a pretty, yeah. pretty good version of that. And, and the three of them aren't doing shit. They're losing uh, two thirds of their games. And like, I get it. You get a slightly better coach, but even that I, I think is a challenge. Uh, it's probably a little more attractive of a job with two good players than one, but uh, I don't know a lot of coaches that would sign up to be a part of this organization right now. Like ones that are average, even league average. So I don't know. I, I, I think that there, I, I don't want to say it's like, I probably was overstepping to say there's no possibility of this ending up, uh, you know, working out okay. But it is like a, it is an outlier thing. Like they've got to end up with grab a, a guy that people think isn't an all-star and turns out he's all NBA, uh, like a DeMar DeRozan or um, win the lottery, you know, like literally win the lottery and end up with uh, Chet Holmgren, you know, like, something like that kind of has to happen in my opinion. But um, yeah, I, I do got to get running here. So I, I will try to leave it with a little bit of positivity or a little bit of hope and say like, I'm not going to rule that out. Um, 
it's possible. There's enough in the chest, like the war chest of picks, to do that. But if the Kings don't add, in my opinion, if the Kings don't add another, like, fringe all-star player, uh, you know, I just don't – I personally – because even a Chet Holmgren, I don't think he's going to, like, be meaningfully winning games from day one. So Right. Even in, coaching in, improvement yeah. is going to have growing pains. For sure, for sure. And the time the, – the clock ticking with Sabonis, like he even said the other day, right? He's like, I'm happy to be here, but things have to go right for me to stay. So – and it's not that long of a window. You got two seasons, um, maybe a season and a half until the, the book is closed on that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll leave it and I'll, I'll say – I'll be optimistic and say, you know, there's a chance. So um, – and that's more positive than I was this past couple of weeks. But thank you for letting me get that those criticisms off my chest and uh yeah i mean there's always a chance right there is and i have to hold on to that that hope rich oh it's good talking to you man whenever you have time i'm more than happy to do this i miss you bro i miss you too man i'm glad to see you doing such great work over there and you've done you know you've done more with the platform than i could have and and just really excited for where you're going man I appreciate it, bro. Uh, yeah, if if in a, in another universe we're still trekking away and at 400 episodes as a duo at this point, but it is what it is. Um, I I do agree with you. They need to strike gold in some way here, right? Like uh, in this off season, whether that be a you get a phenomenal coaching hire or your draft pick really hits or yeah you trade for somebody who's maybe disgruntled and and they end up better than the league wide expectation is or you get a a big jump from a fox or sabonis and and all of these have low percentage outcomes but i think if you have one of these that you're in in okay position um i'll I'll say that for sure if there's only minimal improvements this off season that i'm going to be with you of just extremely skeptical and like grasping at straws to even figure out what the game plan is here because this just had to be like step one um because you clearly need more than this and while it's like all fine and dandy and easy to be like oh that that Denver game, best case scenario, like they performed well, but they still lost. Like that's not going to mean shit next year. And it's going to be all about the win and loss column. And it's uh, a tough ask and definitely going to have to be a quick turnaround. I think we've seen it. It's probably, uh, yeah, a little bit of an outlier, but I think that they have the assets to work with. To me, I'm going to hold off on, feeling like holy shit what the hell are they doing unless they bomb this offseason which who knows because outside of this bonus like outside of this deadline we were all like what is monty doing so we'll we'll have to see if he can back it up this offseason is kind of where i'm at that is fair and and thanks again man i'm with you yep uh and what is what's the twitter handle ivanowski nba yes sir it is. All right. Uh, Richard Ivanowski, I'm sure everyone's aware, and writer for the King's Herald, as myself and all the other great guys and gals there, constantly putting out 
great content, definitely check out the site there and take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of